Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dylan Reed Show. I'm your host, Dylan Reed. And today we have a very special guest on, um, Shola Barr um, from, uh, from the state of Wisconsin. Um, she's going to be talking to us about um, her experience uh, and her husband's, you know, owning a small business in Hayworth, kind of their experiences throughout the 0809 economic, uh, economic crisis, as well as, you know, kind of what's going on within the town that they currently live in Wisconsin Rapids. Thank you so much for having uh, for being on uh, the show today, Cheryl. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it too. It's kind of interesting. Wisconsin and DC, two different areas for sure. And uh, <laughs> definitely different lifestyle, definitely different, I guess, um, you know, just different kind of um, pace, I think is what I'd say. Different mm -hmm. pace. Yeah. So what kind of brought y'all into kind of the, the plumbing business? Well, interestingly enough, um, we were third generation plumbers, my husband, his father and his father's brother, and then um, their their dad. So Grandpa Labar was also a plumber. He started it way back in like 1950, started Labar Plumbing, uh, Labar Mechanical back in like 1950, and he did wells and things like that. And then the two brothers, Don and Bob, both had their own plumbing business, and my father-in-law moved down to New Orleans. So he had Liberty uh, Plumbing mm -hmm. and that's where my husband started. And then he went to Votech School down in Louisiana, got his license there. Then he moved up to the Illinois area and did some retirement homes with my father-in-law. And then we went to Hayward where my father-in-law was originally from. I was not from Hayward originally. I'm from Illinois. And uh, we moved up to Hayward, Wisconsin and we opened our own business and had it for 25 years. Mm -hmm. and enjoyed it. Hayward is a beautiful place. It's very interesting. Uh, most people tour there. They're tourists. It's a tourist area. You go from 2,200 people in the city of Hayward to 40 or 50,000 on any given summer weekend. Mm -hmm. There's also world-class events. There's golfing. There's the Berkabiner, which is a 26-mile cross-country ski race in February. People come from, uh, we'll have seven or 8,000 skiers alone that are from 100 different countries. And mm -hmm. so it's a very culture driven area and uh, it's a very interesting area to live And The winters can be very brutal. They start anytime in November and they go until sometimes the end of April. Uh, my son's birthday was May 4th. And in 2013, the year he graduated from high school, we had 17 inches of snow on May 2nd. Oh, wow. So you never know what you're going to get in Hayward. It's like uh, people will always say things like, you know, wait 10 minutes and see what happens with the weather. And it's the truth there. <laughs> so was Hayward kind of one of those towns where Mrs. Smith owned the bakery, Mr. Brown owned the dry cleaner store, like everyone knew each other? Absolutely. You knew everyone. It's kind of interesting. Main Street was business after business. So mainly, you know, there was candy shops, there were uh, bars and restaurants, and there were bakeries. There were people that had the little, you know, antiquities and things like that. And you knew everyone there. Oh, a dog bakery just anything and everything that tourists would enjoy as well as the people who live there. Cause we support the businesses during the off season mm -hmm. and same as plumbing, you know, we had a plumbing business. So we took care of those businesses, which had very old plumbing systems from way back. And so it was a very interesting uh, dichotomy there and definitely a um, really great place to raise a family. We're glad we raised our son there. School systems were really good. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's an interesting place. And then it's also, um, we lived four and a half miles from a native reservation, La Couture Ojibwa tribe. Mm 
So mm -hmm. it's a very interesting kind of place. Awesome. No, that's, that's help. No, that's great. And then, so you had the, the plumbing business for about 25 years and yes. you know, it would be um, awesome too as well. So what was y'all's experience kind of going into, you know, the first economic crisis I remember as a kid was the 0809. Yeah, that was a very difficult time. We had at the time uh, six employees, including, well, that was not including our secretary and myself. So we were eight of us. So we had some trucks and vans on the road and it was very busy. You would not think with a city of 2,200, but the county is a very large county. So we covered a very large area. And also um, just that you know, you had so many different plumbers that did different types of businesses. Now, we never really did septics, but there were other plumbers that did septics because you have to be certified in certain type of legally, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we had the trucks on the road, we did plumbing and heating. We did in-floor heating and boilers and things like that. So a lot of times, you know, your bread and butter. Plus, we also did uh, winterizing for people that had second homes in the area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it gets really cold in Hayward, you can really have some damage done to your uh, your second home or your cabin or whatever, if you don't have it winterized properly. So we did a lot of that kind of thing. And what we found in 2007 downturn was very difficult because we had a huge, we had a lot of huge jobs. We used to call my husband the quarter million dollar man because he alone was doing the work of that. And then we had other guys out on the road. So we would always tease him. And it was really hard when that hit because you when you have employees, they become like your family. You're mm -hmm. spending all the time with them every day. You know, you're giving them work orders. You're talking to them. You're, you're talking to them on the phone, you know, and we were paying for, you have to think about, you know, trucks and insurance and cell phones and everything else that you're paying for all the supplies coming in. You still have vendors to pay. And then when you ran across people that couldn't pay their bill on time, that became, you know, we're not a bank, you know, we're a business. So it was really difficult in a small town because like you said, you know everybody. So mm -hmm. if somebody from the bakery has a pipe break and they need you there and they might need you at 4.30 in the morning. So you go at 4.30 in the morning because that's when you need to. But then when they ran on hard times, they couldn't pay, you know, at the time, but they need, you know, well, hey, give us a week. Okay, fine. Well, then you all of a sudden become back and your vendors are calling you going, hey, you know, you got to pay for that. And it's like, oh yeah, we do. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of juggling and I did all of that. I was mainly the salesperson marketing. And then we sat, my secretary and I sat with the customers, which her and I were very good friends, sat with the customers. And we were the ones that worked with them through their fixtures when they were building a new home or remodeling or whatever. So we did a lot of that. And, you know, many times we had to mortgage our house. We mortgaged our house. We had a second mortgage on our home for years because we had to, because we had to make payroll. Uh, it was very difficult. You know, thank goodness that we had really good people at the banks that knew us well, too. That's part mm -hmm. of it, too, is you have relationships built. You know, we bought our vehicles through this bank. We, you know, we did all these. So it was a really tough time. And I'll just never forget that people think when you own a business that you go home every night and you throw money on the bed and you roll in it. Well, that's not what happens. Uh, many times my husband would, you know, we, we used QuickBooks for our business. And mm -hmm. so many times... He would come home and he would be like, hey, I just deposited this, you know, great big check. And and then the next day he would go, he'd open up QuickBooks and he, where did it go? And say, hey, the money comes in, the money goes out. I mean, we have 
payroll taxes, you have payroll, you have to make sure your vendors are paid. You have to make sure I was actually the actual owner of the business. The reason was because at the time we started, it was my husband, myself and the secretary. And you have, you know, in order to have health insurance, all right, to go on your own, you had to have one employee and another uh, owner or something. And so I became the owner. And so honest to God, Dylan, the whole time, I never had a paycheck ever, never had a paycheck. I took a draw when our property taxes were due. That was my um, time to get money, I guess you could call it, but I never. But then again, I also um, leased a car that the company paid for, but I did run errands with that car all the time. I never, that car wasn't really used to just buzz around town. It was used, Mr. Ed's plumbing on the side of it. And um, so, yeah, it was a difficult time. And then when we had to start laying people off, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. um, we were both very active in our church. Thank goodness that did help a lot, you mm -hmm. know, um, and we were raising our son. And so, you know, you have to pick and choose what's right for you and your family. That's probably the most important part of it is that you have to look at it like that. It is a business. We still had people calling. We still had work to do. But the point was that we didn't have enough to keep everyone busy and we just could not keep the expenses going. The price of gas had rose. The insurance on your vehicles had rose. Health insurance. Health insurance alone was, oh boy, when we had the employees, it was probably around 40 grand a year right off the top. And then you're talking, adding everything else. So it was very overbearing and stressful, very stressful. And then when you get down to it, you finally make that decision where you have to do this and we had like uh, three or four of us for a long time. And mm -hmm. then it finally came down to where one of the people that we had grown so close to, and one of them, the secretary had found another job at the hospital. So she went full time there and had great health benefits. And that's a helpful thing too. You can't, you know, you can't um, down someone because they found something that's going to help them. And mm -hmm. during that time you had to do what you had to do. And uh, so the last person we laid off, we're still very close. We're still very close with all of them. Um, which is very fortunate, but it's really, it was very hard on us. And it did, it did a lot of inside damage to you, you know, cause you think about their families and now all of a sudden they've got to worry about finding a job and how do you find a job in a down market like that? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what, you know, a lot of what we see now is going on. There's a lot of jobs, but there are jobs that people just don't want to go work. I'm not sure exactly why what's happening there, but this was a really tough time for us. Sold a lot of vehicles at a very low price. I mean, mm. you know, you had we had to. We just had to get rid of that price of the insurance and the car payments and the truck payments and the van payments. And so we went down to just uh, Ed and I for probably the last uh, eight years of our business, ten maybe eight eight to ten years. And then um, he finally was getting he's getting older and his knees hurt. You know, as a plumber and you. You've mm -hmm. utilized it enough, and he finally decided he was going to look for something a little different. So, and it, and it is amazing, you know, now that I'm older, I've, you know, you start to understand things a lot more, you know, the older you get. It's, you know, because our economy is based off of consumer spending. And mm -hmm. when people, it is amazing when people stop spending money, it all comes yeah. tumbling down. Yeah. A lot of what happened too was the fact that. So, so we would have customers that maybe their faucet leaked. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would think to themselves, well, it's not going to hurt to let my faucet leak for a little bit longer. So they wouldn't call a plumber then. So it just, it, it was amazing to see 
how fast things went down during that time. And people, so, you know, people usually cut out the unnecessary, you know, you don't go get your haircut as often, or you don't go get it colored, or you don't, um, you know, you don't spend as much at the grocery store, or you don't go to uh, the gym as much. You, you know, you cut back on the Mary Kay, you know, Avon, whatever, whatever it is, you cut back on those things. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, we're still not putting a lot away. And when you own your own business, you are your retirement. <laughs> That's it. You, you can't rely on anyone else. You have to rely on yourself. And they always say, I, I, you know, you listen to Dave Ramsey or something and we, you know, you say, put your, put money away for yourself. That's probably the most difficult thing in the world to do as a business owner when you're a small business. And I mean a small business. I don't mean 50 employees or I mean a small business. And that's kind of what we were in Hayward was a small yeah. business. So kind of coming at it from like a small business perspective, you know, and yet again, I was about, you know, I was in like the eighth grade or something like that when 08, mm -hmm. 09 happened. What was the difference then versus kind of what we're seeing now? Well, I would say probably, you know, regulations and regulations are still an issue for small businesses when they regulate you to nothing, mm -hmm. um, to where you can't do anything. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, they want to all of a sudden, you know, now, of course, you see it with like they want to turn everything electric, even though where are they going to find the electricity to run that? Um, and also, when you live in Wisconsin, driving an electric car just is not something you can do. Maybe in D.C. you can do that. But here. When I drive somewhere, sometimes it's an hour and a half to get to where I'm going one way. It's not, and it's highway, back roads, all this. You're not going to find any place to plug in. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But in 2008 and 2009, it was still regulation plus your health insurance. That was probably the biggest issue was mm -hmm. health insurance. We saw so many people, oh, you can keep your doctor. That was just a bold-faced lie. And people wanted to believe so much in hope and change. They really did. And I mean, I witnessed that with many of my friends. They just wanted to believe. And, you know, sometimes you grasp at things. And, I, you know, I think after going through 2001, going through Katrina hurricane, you know, you see all these catastrophes happening. I mean, when 9-11 happened, it was an eye-opening experience for people. Then we go to war. Then, you know, and it's just this back and forth stuff. And I think that had a lot to do with it, too. It affects the economy and it affects what people think and how people react and when people voted for um, President Obama, it was basically the hope and change is what it was. Mm -hmm. And then when the hope and change didn't come and it became worse, uh, what came out of that? The Tea Party, the Tea Party mm -hmm. Patriots. It was basically an uprising of people saying, no more. We can't do this anymore. Your regulations are killing us. There were some regulations um, that were in the Ashland, Bayfield, Washburn area of Wisconsin, which is northern Wisconsin, along Lake Superior. Okay. And there were regulations there about the water and, you know, out of anybody who lives anywhere, people in northern Wisconsin care about the land. They really do. They care about the water. They care about the air. We live here. I mean, we don't want it to be polluted. And they were putting these regulations on on cities and townships of what they could do for their um, uh, their water treatment plants. And that and impacts your plumbing, too. Yes. Right? Yes. And then they, their regulations uh, just struck us as being ridiculous. It's like we can't survive. You can't do it. Now, what and, um, were there specific regulations that stuck out to you that impacted Mr. Ed's plumbing? Oh, heck yeah. There were a lot of them. Plus, there were also 
the fact that we had to all of a sudden start paying a lot more for our plumbing license. Our plumbing license used to be $100 a year. Now our plumbing mm-hmm. license is on $500. You know, it's like, and, and I called the, the uh, state assembly rep at the time. And I said, you know what? I mean, why? This is when the downturn is on. We're really struggling. Everyone's struggling. And now you want $500 out of me in March. And I'll tell you, out of any time of the year, January, February, March are the three hardest months for people in the Northland to make it. We got a lot of snow on the ground. People are not concerned. They, they just got out of Christmas. January 31st is when your property taxes are due. People are not concerned about getting a toilet, leaky toilet fixed. So March, the month of March, and, I'm, and this is no joke, I would count in March, we would have maybe 10 receivables the whole month of March. Mm-hmm. And that could be anywhere from, you know, $85 to $1,800 or whatever. But you never got big jobs in March. It just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, people are not traveling then because of the snow. So any regulation they put on you. And so then it was, okay, now you have to pay $500 for your plumbing license by the end of March. Um, that might not seem like a lot to a lot of people, but when you are paying your mortgage, your second mortgage because of your business having issues, you're trying to sell vehicles, you're trying to raise a child and you're trying to pay all of your bills. Uh, it was very difficult and it was a eye-opening experience towards the political scene for us. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It opens your eyes. When they regulate you for the size of pipe you can use now or the type of pipe you can use, um, it starts opening your eyes too. And there's certain codes you have to follow. There's a, there's a code. My husband has to take continuing education classes all the time to keep up with all of the codes that change. And that continues to go on no matter how old he is. If he keeps his plumbing license, he has to do it. And that's, and is there like a certain amount of hours that the state of Wisconsin requires? Yes. yes. And how many hours is that? Uh, it's about 12 hours a year for certain, for your plumbing license. And then you have one for septic, which my husband does not do, but he does do cross connection backflow prevention, okay. which is another whole different part of your plumbing license. And basically what that is like cross connection is, you know, when you put on a vacuum, a hose outside of your house or something, you have Mm -hmm. to have this vacuum seal that will make sure that bad water doesn't get into the healthy water into it's like potable water. You have potable water, then you have non-potable water. It's sort of like when you're, when you see these RV parks, they have the potable water. That's the water you want to fill to drink. The non-potable is the stuff you get rid of the sewage and all. So it's a a lot like that. And what cross connection does is keeps the, bad water, gray water from going back into water that people could drink and makes them sick. And that's so that's why um, it's a public health issue, water. And that's probably why they increase the price of license. I can understand because really when you're a plumber, you really are taking care of people's water. It's very important. Mm -hmm. But there's also issues on the other side where you go, wait a minute, why are you slapping us with that? Because then what happens is that has to get passed on to the customer. The mm-hmm. customer has to pay it. The price of gas increases, price of plumbing goes up. That's just the way that it works. Uh, and, you know, it's unfortunate because then you have people out here, senior citizens that are on a fixed income and they can't afford a new water heater or whatever. And I mean, a new water heater now, copper prices, when they went up, that was back in 2008 and 9 too. We put up with that. People were going into homes that we were doing, tearing the copper pipe out to sell at places. So then we had to, you know, our insurance had to come in. We had to pay for that. It was a, it was a nightmare. It really was. Yeah. So it, it sounded like a never ending cycle. 
it really was a never ending cycle. And then things got better after 2010. It started, you know, we, we saw the light a little bit more so in Wisconsin because Governor Walker was, it, the whole state turned red is what happened. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a really enlightening experience for us. Tax burdens were lifted. Uh, you know, we have something called here a property tax, then you have a personal property tax. So we owned our own business. And so let me just explain that because I'm sure, I don't know if other states have it. Minnesota probably does. But let's say, for instance, you have a plumbing business and you have desks in your plumbing office and you have, you know, adding machines, whatever you have, uh, all the way down to like staplers. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you already bought that and you paid a tax on it. Now you have to fill out a personal property tax. And so you fill out that form and they do a a depreciation on it every year. So you fill out that form, but you continue to pay on that forever. Your personal property is just charged forever in, in Wisconsin. They're trying to get rid of that. I hope they get rid of that because it does affect resorts as well as plumbing businesses and every other business, bakeries. If you've had a mixer, you know, you've had a refrigerator, you had printers. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I already bought it and paid for it and paid the tax on it. And now you want me to pay it again for like every year for however many years I have it. And if you get rid of it, then you have to let them know that you did get rid of it. You have to put that on the on the form. It's an appraisal form that comes to you every year. It's oh. crazy. So you're basically double taxed in the state of Wisconsin. Constantly. Yes. With the personal oh. property tax. Every year you are. Yes. Oh, wow. No, that's, yeah. it's, that's like amazing, you know, however you want to put that, you know, it's, you know, I never, and that's kind of the reason why I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, with this podcast, mm-hmm quote unquote, I guess you could say I am a business owner, loose quotation marks. And, you know, it's, it's interesting now, the older you get, you start to, you know, mm-hmm. these things start to come up to your, you know, you start to realize, oh, wow, like this costs money, like, you know, like, yes. And then that, that cycle too, as well. And, um, mm-hmm. but yet, but I want to, I want to shift now. Um, so I know you're actively involved in, in Wisconsin politics, your son is, um, based on our conversations, is also actively involved in Wisconsin politics. Mm-hmm. He um, was. He's not now, but yeah, he he works for the Department of Health. Yeah. Okay. Um, what from what you, from talking with people in Wisconsin Rapids, and then you know you living in Hayward, what are some of the you know you you mentioned water. Are there other particular issues that are impacting where you live now or where you used to live? And kind of what is that? Where from a constituent's perspective, where is the disconnect between how Washington is operating versus kind of what you're seeing being a constituent in in the state of Wisconsin? Well, I don't see Washington acting at all. So I see <laughs> nothing being done at all except for at a presidential level. Uh, it's pretty bad when we just executive order, executive order, executive order, everything. Um, and, and I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that with any, I don't care who it is. I don't care what, who's the president. It doesn't make any sense to me. The legislation should be coming from the legislation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't understand that. So here in Wisconsin, we have a Democrat governor right now, and we have a Republican assembly and Senate. So we're fortunate in that. But then again, what does it become? Because politics have become so divisive that it becomes a lame duck. And that's basically what it is. Anything that the the assembly and Senate want to get through, the governor vetoes. So it just seems this crazy cycle that we keep going in. 
And you witness that at the federal level as well. And it's very frustrating for the citizens out here because we're looking at it and we're going, why in the world is this happening? What is going on? Why can't we get people elected? Why is it that we keep electing the same people over and over and over again? Why is that happening? And why are we letting people that are in their 80s really make up the decisions? I mean, I, I have to admit, I think it's time for like younger people like you, like my son, like other people in that age group to start stepping up and saying, this isn't right. And we have to find a way to be um, civil to each other, to talk to each other so we can come to some kind of an agreement. Most of the time I had this one friend that was, he's in Milwaukee and we used to talk all the time about probably about 70 to 80% of the issues out there. We could probably all agree on to some extent. And, you know, it used to be like that, that you could talk across the aisle to people. I, you really can't anymore. I have a couple of friends that I try to talk to and they're just so set in their ways. And these are people on the side that I would say I am on, the conservative. I am a conservative. I've been a conservative for many years. I didn't know that's what it was um, until, you know, you, you find out through people telling you or things that you listen to. I think the Tea Party Patriot is what really opened my eyes, truthfully, back in 2009, 2010. And that was anger over keeping your doctor and anger over they shoved a bill down your throat about insurance and they didn't even know what the bill said. When, when a speaker of a house can stand up and say, you know, um, we don't know what's in the bill. We'll read it after it's passed. Then you go, what? I mean, who? I can't read a contract from my business and, and just go, oh, well, I'm not going to read that. I'll just read it later and just deal with it. No, it doesn't work like that. So that was very frustrating. And I think that today still goes on. And then when you see um, how they weevil it, uh, both sides, and it's very frustrating. And you sit out here as a citizen. I don't even watch really and truly. I don't watch any um, news anymore. I get my stuff from Rumble or YouTube. I'll watch a video here and there or I read. I read a lot. I get a lot of newsletters and, and items like that from and I do have some friends, you know, that I'm in a conservative email group that they email and sometimes I read it. Sometimes I go, oh, that's just silly. I, no, I'm not going to read that. So it's very frustrating. But um, I still have friends that are involved with Americans for Prosperity. The, I just mentioned, met, met a woman recently, uh, Moms for Liberty, which mm -hmm. I think is a really, I think, a up and moving group. I saw they had like 25 out of 30 of them elected in Florida. That was pretty good. But, you know, Governor DeSantis got behind them, too. And I think that's helpful, too. That's not going to happen here. Uh, Kenosha, the riots that happened here, Kyle Rittenhouse, that whole um, horrible thing. I, all of it was horrible, but it all happened. And it seemed like it became a political issue instead of becoming what it was. Mm -hmm. A criminal was trying to pull a knife on policemen. They responded by shooting him. And because he was a black young man, the whole city burns up. And Kenosha is not like that. I mean, the people really want to forget it. But you can't really forget that. And the governor did nothing for days. He just let it burn. And then Kyle Rittenhouse, this 17-year-old kid, comes in to try to help. And he ends up shooting two people, killing them. Shooting three people, actually. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. He was found innocent. And it was self-defense. It really was. When I watched the videos, at first, I was doing the same kind of thing, looking at it and holding my own view, going, wow, you know? He just shot these people. I mean, it just kind of freaks you out because you can't picture being a mom of your 17-year-old son, first of all, should have never been there. But besides that, he was trying to help and then he was attacked. So I understand it.
but it's just so frightening to think that that can happen, that we don't have the police responding, the National Guard, the fire department. That's pretty scary because that's what we rely on. That's how we live a civil society. And it's changing and it's changing everywhere. It really is. Now I'm in a smaller area. I live in Grand Rapids um, township of Wisconsin Rapids. So I'm kind of out of the city um, and I'm glad I am. I, where I am is very calm, peaceful, quiet. We don't have any issues here. Biggest issue I would say is jobs. And that's mainly, uh, we used to be a huge paper mill area. I don't know if you've ever, but there was probably eight or nine paper mills running at any given time. And now there's like one and a half. And the legislators have tried to get some funding for the paper mills, but some of the papers that they made here are not used anymore. Think about it. I mean, how often do you, you know, go buy magazine paper? You're not, you know, you have no need for that. Neither do I. Um, about the only thing I buy is copy paper to use for my printer and scanning and stuff. That's about it. So it's the, the industry here last, last year, we moved in in June of 2020 during COVID, which is crazy. And experiencing that alone was interesting. And then um, a month and a half later, they closed the la one of the last mills here, and that was 900 people lost their jobs. So that really was a devastating turn on the area, um, throwing COVID in there, plus throwing in uh, 900 people losing their jobs. The school district has suffered from it. The children have suffered from it. It's just been a really tough, tough gig. Now, is the... The demographics from from my understanding of the the township tend to be older is that um is that a fair and accurate assessment yes it is yes okay yeah many of these people have worked in the mills for anywhere from 18 to 40 years many of them now we do have there's 5,000 kids in the school district here we have like seven schools um and they're not doing well the, you know, I'm kind of a little bit active in that right now. We need to find some school board members, some people to stand up and run because we have some huge, appalling learning issues here. Right? Really appalling. I mean, when kids are 17 percentile in reading and math, there's an issue. And it's not just families. I mean, this falls back on all kinds of things. This whole the COVID issue turned everything into a political issue as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, children masked, uh, vaccination statuses for people. It just became a nightmare. And now here we're finding out. I, I can imagine, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine this. You may be even alive to, to witness it, what the history books are going to say about this time in our history. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be, yeah, because it's, you know, it is interesting kind of seeing, you know, it's one of those, it seems like no one really know, knew kind of like what to do that's kind of <laughs> what it fundamentally came down to. Yeah. I Everyone think they was, call, I think they call that a cluster, you know, yeah. <laughs> snafu. Yeah. Cluster snafu. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it that. But that's kind of what I witnessed was a uh, very indecisive and not knowing the direction to go. Mm. And I believe that that is why Donald Trump did not win a second term COVID totally. And then Anthony Fauci became this, God almost for one side. And I fear that more than anything. People that have their, their bureaucrat that has that much power is not something to mess with. And uh, I just think that, that we, we let our people down. We really did. I mean, when you let your grandmothers, grandfathers pass away in a nursing home without anyone loved one next to them, 
we're going to pay for that. That's a sad, sad situation. And that, that was the most, um, you know, that was the most disturbing to me is kind of not being able to see your family members. Yeah. It was like, very disturbing. It's caused, it's caused people to be depressed. I mean, look at the suicide level of people in this, in the age groups now, look at the children. I, I can't even imagine being a kid, you know, you're just so excited to go to school sometimes and then to see your friends, to play recess, you can't do that. Now you're looking on a computer screen and you're learning. And, and there were so many kids that never even just showed up on the computer screen. So we have no idea of the loss in the education system as well. And I think that we're gonna pay for that for years too. Now, how is how is the town like? How is the town currently post COVID? Is it still struggling? Is it has it gotten full? You know, is it at a hundred percent or like what would you say is? I don't know if we'll ever be a hundred percent. I would say here in Rapids, we're probably about eighty percent, and okay. we don't really, you know, we don't really even acknowledge COVID any anymore. It's sort of like okay. You know, I, I watch my weather app sometimes just to see the numbers of people that are saying in Wood County. Wood County is a very large county. And it's, mm -hmm. I think it's in lately, it's been like anywhere from 10 to 20 people a day supposedly having COVID. But I don't even know who's testing anymore. I, anyone I know, they're not testing or anything. I haven't been around any kind of, um, I've been around a lot of people. I, you know, a lot of groups, a lot of people, but I have not had any kind of incident. And I don't know anyone in my area that has. So, I think we've just gone on with life, you know, and when I talked to my doctor the last time I went in July and, you know, you have to wear a mask. That's the only place we wear a mask now is doctor, you know, doctor's appointment. And I went in there and, and um, I just said to him, you know, how long are we going to have to do this? And he told me, he thought it could be a whole long time, if not forever in the doctor's offices. And I said, well, this is ridiculous. And I said, it really is frustrating and I don't really like it. And um, he said, we'll take it off. You know, he said, Look, here's the deal. I've already been vaccinated, vaccinated, boosted, and I've had COVID at least twice, which makes no sense at all. So, you know, you're dealing with that in a small town, and that's how people feel right now. They're just kind of aggravated with it. I think the fact that they thought, you know, when you have a president of the United States stand up and say that if you get vaccinated, you will not get this, and then you get vaccinated again, and you get boosted, and you get boosted, uh, and you get it. I mean, what does that tell you? It tells you they didn't tell us the truth from the beginning. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear two masks, do this, do that, stay six feet away. I think they really didn't know anything about it and they should have waited until they found out instead of scaring the H-E-L-L -L out of everyone. And that's what I think was the hardest part of it all was the fear that they threw into people. And some people still have that fear. I still see people riding a bike with a mask on and I just, I just smile. It's just different. I don't know how it is out there, but we so live in, normally here. So in DC, I was actually at the Whole Foods uh, near my house, and there were a handful of people that were still masked in the grocery store. Do you think that's now a status symbol? I mean, like a symbol to tell you who I am? Or do you think it's people maybe that have an immune compromised system that are afraid, that have fear? So... I don't want to assume anything because, you know, that doesn't make me look like a good person. You know, I don't know if someone with, with a mask on, they could be immunocompromised. They may be more comfortable. I'm just at the point now where whatever works for you, great, mm -hmm. you know. 
Yeah. I just, and I just go on with my daily life. So if it doesn't impact me, I should not pay any attention to it. I understand where you're coming from. I think that that's part of it that bothered me too, is the fact that um, I felt that we were losing our civil liberties. I really felt that I, I served in the Navy mm-hmm. and I did that because I believe in our country. I believe in patriotism and I believe that we should love our country and I believe we should stand up for it when we need to. And I think we've lost a lot of that. And that kind of hurt my heart a little bit. Uh, The civil liberties that we just let go. It's like kids in colleges, you know, have to have a a scanned um, QR system on their phone now. And if they don't be, if they're not tested every three days, or they can't go in this building, they can't go in this building. I just think that's ridiculous. And I think we've just let it happen. It's like we just wearing a mask to a doctor's office. I mean, we just let it happen. We just, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And I just think that I think especially the younger generation is like, you know, no offense, of course, but because I don't mean it to be offensive. I just mean it as you guys are just kind of like, um, okay, well, let it be, you know, whatever happens is going to happen and we're just going to let it go. But when you do that, you let go of every little bit, the Patriot Act. You know, I remember Rand Paul just going on and on and on about it. And I just really didn't listen. My son and I had discussions about that when I would say you know, I don't care if they listen to me, you know, I don't say anything, but you know, really and truly I do care. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't need them listening to me. I have enough devices (laughs) that are listening all the time. So I'm very cautious about what I do, what I say, but then again, I'm not, I mean, I'll just say it and I I go on because I, I kind of like the idea of talking to people about it openly because I think that's what we've lost is like, you know, here you are a totally different generation than I am but you're willing to sit here and talk to me about life and about what's going on and what happened and how I saw it through my eyes. You saw it differently because of course you were much younger. And mm-hmm. now as you're getting older, you're seeing things that I would have never thought we would have ever seen. I never would have thought we would have witnessed a pandemic that was the way it was. And I think a lot of people did out of fear, do the things that they were told to do. I was one of those that didn't, and it did make my son crazy. I was not a person who put a face diaper. That's what I called it on my face. I would not do it. You live in an area where you probably couldn't have gone anywhere if you did. Mm-hmm. So I found restaurants that would allow me to come in. I found, you know, places that I could go. If someone yelled at me or said something, I would say, you know, look, I'm not ill. I don't have any, I'm not going to spit on you. I'm, you know, I'm just going to get my stuff and get out. And I just mm-hmm. ordered groceries most of the time, picked them up, you know, lived my life and did fine. But it's just sad because you did become oh, more of a homebody and it's lonely that way. And I moved to a different area, so I didn't know a soul here. So it's taken me two years to finally reach out to some people and, and become friendly with them and learn a little more about them. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting kind of, you know, the generational differences that you mentioned, you know, prime example with my generation, you know, the whole foods here, a lot of people tend to order on their phone and then mm-hmm. they pick it up or they deliver compared to someone who's, you know, my grandmother who's over 80 sh- struggles with that type of lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. how I, you know, it, it's kind of this conflict of opportunity. So with chaos comes opportunity or with chaos comes, I don't know what to do now. And mm-hmm. you've kind yeah. of seen that now with, uh, with COVID, with the pandemic. Well, and like thinking of your grandmother, you know, 80 years old. And and I think about now social security has to be done online. 
you can't you can't go to the social security office and just sit down and talk to them. Everything has to be done online. So how does she do that? You know, how does that happen? A lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't know where to go. They don't know. Thank goodness that I have learned through time what I have to do. Probably running a business helped a lot. Um, also being involved actively in the political scene helped a lot. Um, and I'd like to say that I stepped away from that because I, I started getting called, you know, there was editorials written about me and called an activist. I'm not an activist by any means. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I owned a business. I, I believe strongly in things that I believe in, but I'm not um, some kind of crazy bat wing person that's going to grab a sign and run out on the street and, you know, yell and scream and holler. And yeah, I just don't really like that. And I'm seeing the ads already about the governor race here and they're making my stomach hurt. It's ridiculous. And it's all, it's like, how can they get away with truly lying? How do they do that? And it's on both sides, not just on one, it's on both sides. So it's fascinating to me. And it, you know, you, I always try to look to see who, who paid for the ad. That's one of my, my big peeves is and it's like 10 seconds. You can't even, it's like <laughs> big white letters at the bottom of your screen and you have to pause it on your television to kind of see. Yeah. I need to and get my glasses or something. Exactly. And then that's the other thing too, like your grandmother, I mean, streaming now, you know, I started, we started streaming stuff instead of paying for cable or dish or anything um, because it was so expensive. And it's like, I don't need to watch all that. I don't watch half of it anyway. So why would I do that? So now, you know, you have to learn how to do all of that with your smart TV. <laughs> like, well, you know, it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that uh, it's a learning experience for sure. And if you're someone who's by yourself, it has to be very difficult when you get older and try to figure things out. Yeah. And in comparison, you know, if I want, you know, like I bought this microphone and headphones and all this podcasting equipment on Amazon, click oh, you're, it'll be here in two days or something like that. I know. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. And this is really kind of cool too. I like this. Um, so this is uh, very interesting. And I, I think it's great that you're on YouTube. Now, do you post it other places too? or? So I do have, um, I have audio files too as well mm -hmm. that I uh, post to um, a Buzzsprout that I use. And, mm, okay. um, you know, and I upload it to Buzzsprout and then it, becomes available on Spotify and Apple podcast and you know, the whole nine okay. yards. Okay, good. But yeah, no, and it's, and I love podcasting personally. Yeah. Cause I love, well, the first thing is uh, I love talking to people, getting to know people who are, who grew up with life experiences that are different than mine across the country who have different stories and experiences. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, and this is my style. I just like to sit, I just like to introduce the person say, you know, so-and-so, this is who's going to be on. This is what we're going to talk about. And then I just let people run with it. And just because I can't tell your story, mm -hmm. like that's not, you know, that's not, that's not my, that's not in my power. So, mm -hmm. and then wow. I chime in, and then I chime in when need be, if that's, if they brought up an interesting point or, you know, something, you know, along those lines that I think mm -hmm. my insight might add value to keep the conversation going. Well, I think it's pretty interesting on how we kind of just met too, which is, and had conversations. I enjoyed that very much. And I enjoy the fact that you're willing to just talk to someone that's an older woman in Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I think it's very fascinating that you're in DC where all the, the stuff happens, um, where the sewer is, as we, <laughs> the plumbers call it, the sewer. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that you need to have now being now since moving to DC, 
you need to have a connection of who you're representing because it's very easy to get wound up in what's just happening within this within mm -hmm. this district that you're like oh well i don't need to worry about them but that's not necessarily that's not true at all and it's mm -hmm. and you know it's very important to hear from people like yourself you know because we're all constituents in some right. way we shape, or form yeah. we all right. vote we all should pay attention to what's going on in the political process we all should form our own viewpoints based off of kind of facts and not necessarily opinions mm -hmm. and i just want to help establish dialogues with people that are different than me so you'll see on my um on my youtube uh, podcast you know i have everything one on from like a small business owner about relationships to politics to you know kind of learning more about your business with uh, mr ed's plumbing and and it's just interesting you know getting multiple perspectives and and learning from people uh too as well and so and then yet again my last question to you is where do you personally see either the state of wisconsin or where do you see the country going in two to five years that's a good question uh it's so changes now so fast you know that it's a we're such a fast cycle now that two to five years can be a long mm -hmm. long time because if you would have said that two years ago i never thought we would have went through a pandemic like we did so i would say anything is is um open right now i think that um i hope in november that people will remember what's happened and go out and vote i hope they don't pin the um supreme court decision on just Republicans. It should be, I think this is a horrible thing to see happen with people, you know, doing what they're doing right now is uh, using the Roe versus Wade type of thing. And I think also that uh, Trump has a very large constituent still that, you know, we have that, I think we kind of talked a little bit about that off of line before when we had a conversation about how it feels like there's a Democrat, a Republican, and a Trump party. And I'm not sure how that's all going to end out. Um, I don't know if he's going to run again. Everybody says 200% he's going to run. If he does, he'll probably get the Republican nomination. And um, I have nothing against that. I, his policies were fantastic, I felt. I think he did a lot of really good for our country. And the fossil fuels and being energy independent for the first time ever, that was fantastic. To see what he did with peace accords. And he never really got acknowledgement. And I think the media really showed their true colors during that time. And now they're trying to destroy him and his family. And I'm not, you know, I'm not gun ho on him running because I wish he kind of like, we need to, like I told you earlier, we need younger people. We really do. We need a different outset. We need people that'll come in and really start um, changing the way we are doing our political scene and how we actually uh, want to represent the people that you represent. I mean, mm -hmm. I want us to have fair and balanced, really and truly. We have a Democrat Senate, U.S. Senator here now, uh, Tammy Baldwin. I do not agree with her policies at all because she's gone so far off. Uh, we also have uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who is a conservative, who I do normally agree with. But there are things about him that I'm not thrilled about. But um, I think that having two, having a Republican and a Democrat represent your state is really smart because then you have both sides of that state. And we are kind of a purple state, Wisconsin is. So I see Wisconsin, if we do not win the governorship here, we still have the assembly and Senate, 
but then nothing gets done because it's a lame duck. He vetoes everything. And it's like until we start talking across the aisle again, really having conversations about what's going on with the constituents out here, then I don't know what's going to happen. Um, if we win in November, if the Republicans take over Congress, like I think they will, if yeah. they also win Senate, it's going to be lame duck because we have a Democrat president. So it's going to be an interesting time. I'd like to see who's going to step up and who's going to win um, and who's going to run in 2024. That'll be interesting to see on both sides, truthfully, because I just don't know how Joe Biden, President Biden could run again. I don't. He's not looking well. And then COVID and that hitting in there. So he could have some long term effects from that. And I don't want him to be ill. I really don't. I want our president to be a very strong person because we need that in this country, in our world right now. We need that more than just about anything. I think we have a volatile world, mm -hmm. uh, foreign. It's very volatile. Who knows what's going to happen in the next year, let alone two years, five years. I have no idea. Um, I just know that you need to keep working so I can get my Social Security <laughs> and <laughs> keep doing podcasts with people that will that will bring some humor to us, that will also open our eyes to constituents that are out here that feel the same way uh, about things that maybe even on every side, every aisle. I don't care if it's um, somebody who fights for the whales to be alive. We all need to know about all these issues, but we also need to be able to talk to each other calmly and with respect. And I think we've lost civil discourse. I, I really do. And that's what I think is the worst part of it all. And I think the media, the mainstream media, is to blame. That is who I put the blame on is mainstream media. And that's unfortunate. So you, um so I just want to confirm. So you you believe that everyone should believe in something. Well, I think it makes life a lot more interesting if you believe in something. If you have strong values, I was raised with very strong foundation and values. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think if that's how you were raised with those values and that that strength that you have because of that foundation and you believe in that, you really do, then I think you should fight for that. But I just think there's a way of doing it. I mean, we've lost debate. You know, mm -hmm. we've lost just, just talking to each other. And I think that is so sad because we all are interesting in our own little ways. You know, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of interesting things um, in everyone. And I think that's what we need to go back to is finding those happy mediums. I mean, I support a library. Is that terrible? I, you know, I have a dog, but, you know, usually if you run into somebody at the dog park, they think if you have a dog that you have to be very far on the other side. Well, you don't. You can be just a normal person who loves dogs. I mean, you know, I can support a library without being a crazy person that wants to have books in there that are geared towards sexual stuff for children. I mean, I, it, it doesn't make sense to me how we're going to that. So, that's where my foundation is. My foundation lies in the fact of the values that my parents instilled in me. And I hope I instilled those into my son who will in turn instill some of those, even though he has become much more um, socially acceptable as you, which I think is fine. You know, mm -hmm. I do. I mean, I think that's fine. And I think that's how generations happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I grew up in the sixties and seventies. All right. So that was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Now I'm older and I don't have any of the, drugs. <laughs> Never really did. I was in the Navy. Good kid. Um, well, you know, the other two. Okay. <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> you know. I am married. I've been married a long time. So yeah. yeah, you you have to look at life and you have to go, what is really good for me and my family? 
And you try to do what's based on that and what you were raised with. And I also do want to say that I do open my mind to other mm-hmm. items, other people. Uh, my son and I talk a lot about this because I do think it is really good to not make a heavy duty decision without knowing every side. And sometimes a side you can look at and you go, wow, I'm not sure why they would think that way. You know, like my somebody maybe that's a conservative or claims to be. And I look at that and I go, wow, I don't know why you would think that was a good idea. But then also on the other side, huh, you know, you go, huh, I agree with that. And that's what I think we need to find is where we can agree. And then other things you have to agree to disagree on and move on and not not hold hard, hard feelings towards people. And I actually am kind of a gentle, kind person in mm-hmm. most cases, but I really don't even like being around people much anymore, which makes me sad. <laughs> and that's kind of what I've started to learn the older I've gotten life's about. You you read, you listen, and from those mm-hmm. two things, people's learning. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And never stop learning, because I do think that's probably the key, is if you continue to leave your mind open. I read a lot, just like you. I do podcasting, which I enjoy very much. I have a lot of fun talking to many different people. Um, and we do talk political many times, but then there's other things that we talk about that aren't. I mean, we talked about pronouns recently, and it's just kind of interesting to hear a perspective from some older women on pronouns because we don't really even understand the whole concept. I don't want to offend anyone, but I also am not going to call you a whatever, a, a them, if you're one person. It just doesn't even make sense. And I'd like to know why. And so I think there's something going on with that. It's sort of like when I was growing up, there were fads, you know, you had fads. I mean, you might've had a bunch of earrings in your ear or something. That was a statement you were making. And that's kind of what I think that is, is a statement. And I understand you want to make a statement, but it's just kind of an odd thing to do. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, um, Cheryl, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on my show, kind of, you know, with the Midwestern perspective, um, teach me uh, you know, kind of what happened, you know, life in the Midwest, kind of what people are experiencing, you know, because me being from the South, I don't have any knowledge of that at all. So it's always, it's always great to get people's perspective who are in different parts of the country. Simply put, we are meat and potatoes laid back. And we like to sit out by the campfire and talk, have a glass of wine. And that's pretty much it, Dylan. That's where <laughs> laid back people, we don't, we don't really like to, uh, to get too upset about things. We don't like to go out and, you know, we're not going to grab our guns and take over or anything crazy like that, which I think is what I've heard from many people. So mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, but I certainly enjoy the conversation with you and I appreciate you very much uh, having me on. And uh, I look forward to us talking again soon. Of course. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for your time. Yep. Thank you. Have a thank good day. You. Have a great, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.